It's January 23rd, 2011, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Photographs of food are images that we see constantly, whether we are consciously aware of it or not. From the boxes and the labels of the foods we eat to the advertisements we see on billboards or in magazines, food photography is part of our everyday visual landscape. But what does it take to make extraordinary photographs of something we are all so familiar with? Well, today's guest, Lou Manna, certainly knows how to do that. A professional commercial photographer for over 30 years, he has earned a reputation as one of the best food photographers in the industry. An Olympus visionary, as well as the author of the best-selling book, Digital Food Photography, Lou is a master who knows how to make food look both good, delicious, and visually beautiful. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Lou Manna. Well, Lou, welcome to The Candid Frame. You were actually the first food photographer I've had on the show, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about having the opportunity to talk to you and, and your work, so, so welcome. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited. I've Googled The Candid Frame, and a lot of th- good things pop up about it, so <laughs> Thank you my pleasure much. to be on such a popular show. I, I was reading that you started at the New York Times, and you didn't start at the New York Times just as a food photographer. I think you were more of a general generalist and and doing feature stories. Tell us about the early, you know, the beginning of your career and how you started doing more and more photography of food. Well, it actually stems back from earlier days when I went to high school and I studied photography there and I was president of the uh, of the yearbook and photo editor and uh, photography club and I was they had a TV studio in my high school in Brooklyn. I'm Italian from Brooklyn and um and I had such a great opportunity right in high school with with learning photography and video that it helped me then in college I actually studied electrical engineering in college which helps marry the whole digital photography aspect to my work now, together with the photography aspect, the creative aspect. And then in college, I was photo editor of the school newspaper and, uh, and darkroom manager and all sorts of photographic things and started making money working for a local newspaper at $5 a picture out in Long Island. I went to Stony Brook University. And basically, once I started making money, it's something that I love to do. I figured I should just do it as my career and switched my majors to communications, film, video, art, photography, and pursued it there, having amassed a nice portfolio of clippings. And that's what I recommend to people to do is to try and get your work published. Because everybody asks me, how do you get started or how did I get started? So that's how it happened. And then luckily enough, I had a cousin that worked at the New York Times. It is all about who you know and nepotism. And he hooked me up with the right photo editor at the right time at the New York Times when they were looking for photographers out in Long Island. And since I was based in Long Island, they started using me uh, freelance after a, a good interview. 
And then I built up my work with them, and they hired me full-time basically uh, for 15 years as a freelancer out in Long Island and in New York City. And I was covering bombings, murders, uh, fires, you know, uh, political events, all sorts of uh, in sundry things. But one of the best things that they sent me to do was go to Craig Claiborne and Pierre Frenet's home out in East Hampton. And since I was on Long Island, East Hampton, I don't know if you know, is all the way out at the tip of Long Island. Right. Mm -hmm. And basically, they were the food writers and the food editors for the New York Times at the time. And they had these famous chefs coming over from France, and all over the world would come to their home. And uh, they would do a feature article about the chef and their food and create recipes. And I was there to shoot it, eat it drink the wine, have a great time, and then run back to the New York Times to make the 5 o'clock deadline. So it was, uh, it was a little hectic, but that's how I stumbled into food photography. And obviously it's a marriage of what I love, being Italian, food and wine and photography and everything else. So it was a great venue to pursue, although I still covered a lot of other events and famous people and theater and sports. Um, every kind of section I worked for, I had front page articles a lot, um, and uh, traveled quite a bit, too, beyond Long Island. But basically, always loving the food stuff, uh, doing that a few times a week, then started working for the magazine section, too, for their food uh, for their food section and feature section with people, and then pursued it and started building up my career with some of the chefs that I met, and cookbooks and restaurants would ask me to, for pictures, and then I opened up a studio in Manhattan, uh, about uh, 20 years ago. I'm aging myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You're not so, alone. Yeah. So, and then I continued to pursue it. Um, and even to this day, it's it's only half of what I do. I still do other things like product shots and events and uh, portraits and um, anything that comes comes by, quite honestly. You know, but food is really uh, my my strength and my forte and what I promote out there. I've done about 40 cookbooks. I wrote a book called Digital Food Photography, too. Have you seen that? I've not seen a copy, but I, I'm well aware of it, yeah. Yeah, it's on Amazon.com. It's done very well. And um, it's one of the only books on, on digital food photography on the topic. And I'm writing another one now. It should be out next year called More Digital Food Photography. What did you so learn... Go ahead. What did you find in those early days when you start first started shooting food photography that the chefs and writers taught you? Were there certain things that really kind of made the difference in terms of how you approach photographing food? Well, um, they they were high level uh, chefs, so they they just made the food look beautiful. Um, I actually helped them because I was shooting a lot in black and white for the at that time for the living section. I helped them come up with uh, ideas of creating a little more contrast on the plate sometimes if it didn't look good in black and white. So it was uh, we were working together on it, too. Obviously, they made it for flavor and taste, and then I helped them maybe garnish it with something that contrasted so that it would create some shape and texture to the food and stand out in black and white. And maybe that's why... Uh, to this day, my my strength is just the the uh, the lighting and the contrast and the simplicity of the elements that I use, and the clean lines, 
um, and my composition to try and keep your eye in the photograph. And I think that might have come from the, my black and white days, you know, where I was really looking at things more for uh, for contrast. And uh, and the chefs worked with me on it, and uh, that was just really exciting uh, as part as eating the food afterwards, you know. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. When when you're shooting in color, and when you started transitioning to shooting in color, what were some of the new considerations that you had to make as a result of having to consider the color palette? Uh, as well as everything else, right. So now there's the tonal range, the brightness, and the and the um, this different shades and use of color uh, that that I had to be more aware of and present because a lot of times, even in uh, tomatoes, there might be slightly different shades of red in the tomatoes. So I would have them pick the the ones that were more similar together, you know, so that it didn't look so so different. So in black and white, it wouldn't matter so much because it would have been a little bit darker, a little bit brighter, but it wouldn't look like a, a yellowish tomato and a, and a you know real red one or something next to one another. So there was considerations in the food elements, and, and not only in the contrast, but obviously in the color and how it coordinates and blends together. So and the shapes of the food too, the shapes of the elements. But that was true in black and white as well. Well, when you were first starting and you were shooting film, you didn't have the benefit of a of a screen like you do now to review the the work. And now you have the ability of being able to tether your camera and see the results on a on on a monitor. How has the role of digital changed your ability to be able to produce really exacting results in terms of the the work that you do? Well, it's phenomenal because it, it is more of a. Um a process, a creative process with the food stylist or the chef and the client because they are able to see the photograph emerge uh, right on the screen. And, and I use, as you know, Olympus equipment, and I've been using the EP2, uh, which has a live view and allows, and I tether to a 40-inch or 50-inch Sony monitor that I have here in the studio. So the client can just sit there and watch the the picture as it develops and um, and make recommendations, or the chef can say, "Yeah, you're right. I need some more some more peas or some more celery over here, or um, or those things are lining up, those elements are lining up. So let's move them." And um, in the old days, we used to shoot a Polaroid. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. We used to shoot with Hasselblad and and shoot Polaroids, but the Polaroid was more for exposure and composition. It wasn't really for that fine uh, fine detail. And actually, even in those days, I used to put a little TV camera next to my film camera on a tripod and have a live image projected, sort of like my live view now in the Olympus camera. But it wasn't exactly the same shot because it was slightly off, you know, because the camera was next to the to the still camera. Mm -hmm. But it gave the client an idea of, of what was going on so that we didn't have to keep shooting Polaroids. And then I would shoot a Polaroid just for them to see the real lighting or the real composition and the real shot. I think one but of now, the... Go ahead. Go ahead, Luke. Go ahead and finish your thought. But now, you know, now they're seeing exactly what they're going to get, and then I, I pop it, and they'll see really in color popping on the screen instantly. So it's much, much better interactive, and the client gets what they want. And then I, I give them exactly what they want, and then I take the camera off the tripod, and I start doing loose shots because I shoot uh, with uh, strobe most of the time, so I can be I can be more fluid. And I do flyovers over the food, or I do really low angles, or or real tight close-ups, or something like that. And most 
sometimes the client ends up liking those shots even more because it's something unexpected and something different, you know. So I think it has helped my creativity more so and inhibited it, obviously. You know, what I, I, what I really like and, and really uh, thrills me when I'm seeing a really good food photographer is the nuanced control of light. A lot of people think that you just get a beautiful dish and you get like a, a soft box or a, a, an umbrella and a reflector and then you just go to town. But people, it's important for people to understand that you are making very subtle changes to the appearance and the color of the food as a result of using all these little modifiers um, right. that are placed all over the place in order to really emphasize and bring and, and bring out subtle little details of the texture of the food and the and the color of the meat and I think that's probably one of the more interesting and fascinating parts of food photography that that I think most people don't understand or comprehend right because they uh, they think it's just to point the camera and shoot and a lot of times when people shoot near a window it's a nice shot you know or it's you oftentimes bluish or or whatever from the color balance uh, from the shade you know light coming in from the window and they don't set it right i teach a lot of photography classes by the way in my studio workshops and also through olympus as being a visionary i've been a visionary now for eight years and uh, they send me out to different schools and and, uh, and workshops and and camera stores and I even conducted a photo safari in a vineyard most recently for them, which was fascinating and fabulous. But um, in in all of this, I show a slide presentation where I show behind the scenes of my photography, where you can see the, the way I've placed the lights. And I forgot to mention earlier, I do use gobos you know, the little elements that will go between the light source to the subject, as you said, to bring out the texture and detail in certain things. So if you're sh shooting a white whipped cream on a black pudding, on a dark, on a chocolate pudding, um, you know, basically the white is going to be washed out. So I'll introduce a little sliver of a translucent gobo so that it just shades, takes off about half a stop of light on the, on the top, on the whipped cream so that it'll, it'll still be kind of balanced uh, lighting-wise, and you'll have detail in the highlights and details in the shadows. Or I'll use black gobos or gray gobos or, or uh, scrims. And um, in my next book, More Digital Food Photography, a lot of it will be dedicated to behind the scenes showing uh, placement of, of things and how I, how I think before I shoot and then place the objects, place the lights, the mirrors, the reflectors, the gobos, to enhance the subject, as you said, to bring out all the detail and, and again, make it sparkle. So it's not so easy as it might seem. You know, a lot of people do get a, a good shot and they're lucky, but then to keep creating it over and over again, uh, you really have to master your lighting technique, depending on the subject matter. I had the opportunity of watching uh, Dan Minner, Dan Winters, a famous f portrait photographer at work, and he does very much the same thing in terms of his use of light modifiers, gobos, flags, in order to control where on the subject's face you end up paying attention to first. And I think a big part of food photography is having an awareness in terms of what is it about this particular dish or drink that you want to emphasize how important is that knowing exactly what it is whether it's the texture or the color that 
that you want to focus on that informs what you end up doing in terms of not only the lighting, but in terms of how you situate everything on, on the plate or the table. Right. Well, that's part of the composition, too, uh, to keep your eye uh, flowing into the photograph and going to the subject, to the most important part of the subject. And obviously, your eye always goes to the light also. So to put a little bit of highlight on the most important part or that shrimp that, that's beautiful off to the side that you focused on also. So you can, you can control where your eye goes with depth of field and your focus and also with the lighting and composition. So it is a marriage of, of everything. It's not just the lighting. The lighting affects the mood and you can control the feeling with the lighting. The composition helps keep your eye you know, going into the photograph and, and going towards the, the main subject. And, um, and then a lens, is in, uh, I sometimes often use a very long lens with the Olympus camera. It's, a, it's like a 400 millimeter lens that, uh, that they have. And that really compresses distance and really puts the stuff, you know, the food right in your face. And you can see that in a lot of my photographs, that it's, it's very right there. You know, you don't normally see the food like that. Because most people will take a photograph of food as they would see it as, as they were to eat it, you know, from a 45-degree angle from above slightly and kind of close to it. But a lot of times I'll be maybe even 20 feet away, you know, 15 feet away to shoot a plate, a little plate. And it just compresses the distance and, and um, exaggerates the feeling so that it, it comes more into your face. And also you get less at the field with that inherently as well. Can so you, I like doing that. Can you talk a, a little bit about the differences between shooting food for a commercial or advertising client and doing it for an editorial client? Well, with, with advertising clients, you're a little more restricted. A lot of times they'll have a layout that they bring, um, where in the old days it used to be thumbnails, you know, drawings uh, on on piece of paper. And now what they do is they swipe pictures off the Internet and they, they put them together in Photoshop and they expect you to recreate uh, this image that they've uh, merged from five different photographs that were taken at different angles. And a lot of times it's impossible, but but we try and recreate it. So we're more restricted to exactly what they need because you need room for the type and you need room for the logo or, or some of the information, and everything has to be perfect, you know, very pristine. Whereas, obviously, in editorial use, the trend has been more and more just casual, uh, taking a bite out of, seeing the crumbs. It's a lot looser. And even though it sounds easier to do sometimes, it's harder because you have to make it look natural and still beautiful. Um, I was just featured in an article in the Wall Street Journal about the food styling trends and, uh, and things that we're doing now in food photography that we didn't used to do. Before, we would clean the plates and make everything pristine and perfect and iron all the cloths. And now it's okay to have wrinkles and crumbs and, and spots, and even the, the fruit can have some blemishes on it because it makes it look more natural, more approachable, more organic, you know, and more everything's more going into this trend of just real food as opposed to, uh, to glorifying it. So in the editorial world, that's easy. And actually now, even in advertising, we're coming around to that a little bit, but it still has to be perfectly placed, you know, uh, chaos, let's say, or perfectly placed crumb uh, that the food style is placed with tweezers and just the right spot, you know. 
Well, let's talk about the importance of a, of a good food stylist. Because I know, I know a lot of people have probably tried their hand at this and have been a little disappointed in terms of the result because oftentimes they're doing everything themselves. But for your work, it's obvious that you work um, hand in hand with a good stylist. So tell us what makes a, a good stylist and what you need to look for one. Uh, what do you need to look for in one when, when you want to do this kind of work? Well, I agree. For me, a food stylist is an artist in their own right. They really have a great eye and, uh, and are very knowledgeable at how to make food look more appetizing for the camera. Uh, a lot of great chefs, like we were talking about before, will, will make food that tastes great but not really look perfect to the camera. They have to undercook the food. The chef won't undercook the food. The food stylist will and they'll brush a uh, kitchen bouquet or something to make it a little bit browner. They, they know how to move things and how to, how to create that image that the food is real, and for the most part that's what we shoot is real food, but they just make it look beautiful, um, brushing it with oil to add shine uh, and give me some highlights, uh, spraying sometimes uh, a little bit of glycerin and water, on um, on on fruit or on the side of a glass to add those dew drops and manipulating the small elements with tweezers. I I really don't style my own food, and that's why it looks so good. Um, that these food stylists and I have several that I use, and uh, and they're all they're all fantastic. They have training in in uh, culinary training and art training too. And um, and it shows, it really shows. So it is a collaborative effort, and that's why having that big monitor in the studio, that they can see what what I see, and they can see you know what they have to move and what they have to tweak in order to get that perfect composition and make the subject stand out um, beautifully in terms of color and and not lining anything up vertically or horizontally. It's it's not an easy task. And then speaking of stylists, we use prop stylists as well, just to get that perfect plate or that napkin or the background or or the perfect size uh, fork or spoon or some of the items in the background or some of the flowers or, or foliage. Uh, all the things that go into the food shot just didn't pop up, you know. They coordinate the colors and the and the tones and and create the mood as well. And I do have a huge prop clo- closet here in the studio, but for the big shoots that we we have, the client hires a prop stylist. They bring in things, and um, and oftentimes they provide different uh, different concepts for the shot, and they'll lay it out on a table, and we'll all look at it and t- all together maybe merge some of the things that they were thinking and put them all together in a shot, put it in front of the camera, even without the food or with stand-in food. The food stylist will make some some fish, you know, not perfect, but something so that we can put it on the plate with some of the vegetables, let's say, so that way we can get an idea of the colors and the the way everything's going to flow. Oftentimes, too, I'll use a clear glass plate so that the food stylist will give me that stand-in dish on a clear glass plate, and then I'll take that clear glass plate and place it over the different other plates that the food that the prop stylist had gotten so that we can see how the food will look, let's say, on a, on a rust-colored plate or on a, on a greenish plate or lavender plate or white plate and see where what will really make the food stand out better and then go with that scheme 
as well. So it, it's a complicated process. It becomes sort of like a fashion shoot, you know, where there's uh, the makeup, hair and makeup, and the, and uh, the wardrobe stylist, you know, and uh, and then the photographers. So it, it's a collaborative effort. I must say, most of my photographs are totally teamwork. And and I think that's something that people don't get. It's hard, especially in this age of bloggers, food bloggers. It's hard for them to make the food, style it, and then photograph it. It's it's really taking free people to do that normally on a on a commercial shoot. And it's admirable what the, some of the results people are coming up with. And I help them through my workshops as well to you know develop their techniques a little further. Well, during the span of your career, you've you've seen a lot of changes. You mentioned, you know, the the, the food bloggers uh, specifically here, but I'm wondering, how have you seen our as a as a culture relationship with food change um, over the last thirty years? In in particular, with how we expect food to look. Right. Well, that goes on with what I was mentioning before in terms of the more natural, organic look. I think and uh, more approachable and more human, where it has some defects perhaps, you know. Um, I think it's it's more of a rustic, uh, easier, casual feeling that, that we're going after, as opposed to the the, uh, the old school of the, the French uh, cuisine, which was perfect, Nouvelle cuisine, I don't know if you remember that, where everything was perfectly placed on the plate and, and painted sauces and everything. So now that can be drips, and, and it's far more casual and approachable. I think that's what you're sort of going after, right? Yeah, yeah, because I think that a lot of people are really aware of image now because, you know, we're, we're inundated with imagery, and there's more awareness in terms of what's involved in creating photographs. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of people um, sort of have that, um, sort of in mind when they're looking at food, when they're looking at photo blogs, when they're looking at food magazines in terms of what what they're sort of expecting in terms of the way the food looks and how it looks when they actually have it in front of them on their plate. Right, right. It should it should look uh, like you could make it as opposed to something that it'll never look like that. So um, So we try not to really, you know, Fake it too much. Uh, it's just a matter of embellishing it with lighting, and uh, and making it stand out a little more, and trying to create something that uh, that people would, you know, would feel comfortable with, as opposed to that it's too hard to make, you know, or too complicated. But um, but back to the lighting, I think that's what helps make it stand out more, and brings out the texture, um, using a little bit of backlighting to highlight elements and texture is key and um, and the, the use of the mirrors I can't emphasize enough to bring some detail in a lot of people that take my workshop um, have never done that and once they see how I place them and and never putting any any reflectors or mirrors right by the camera so that you don't flatten the subject one of the basic problems that a lot of people do is uh, use the flash on the camera to shoot their plate and that often just flattens the the food and doesn't make it look dimensional at all. And obviously the front of the plate will be lighter than the back of the plate. So one of the recommendations I make right off the bat is just to bounce the, the flash or shut the direct flash on your point-and-shoot camera and try and uh, put the subject near a window or, 
or something like that so that it'll be more natural and light will be coming in from the side and then even reflect some of the light back with a white napkin or even aluminum foil um, which you can find in any kitchen and even soften the light with wax paper just even household items like that can help can help a photograph uh, be improved and look more natural even though um, you might not feel that way but it does look better how has your work changed your relationship with food well uh, as i said i'm italian so i always loved food but now uh, having it around me in the studio um i keep munching and and enjoying it um i love the the taste obviously and i love the look of beautiful food and i like to uh, to make to bring it out even more so in the camera and in the, with the lights so my relationship is uh, is a love relationship for it totally uh, where I embrace it and uh, and respect it and uh, manipulate it and light it so that it shines uh, and becomes like a jewel. Do you find yourself when you go out to eat at a really nice restaurant that you take a look at the food as a photographer, not just as the person who's about to eat it? Oh, of course. I'll always and and actually that's one of the ways I I get my inspiration too is from various uh, restaurants and chefs who come up with different concepts and and the height and and uh, just different textures and, and the way they present the food. They, uh, they are innovative, and they, they do, especially these days, like you said, everybody's involved in, uh, in food and, and blogging and, and just uh, restaurants and, and the image. Uh, you eat with your eyes first, let's face it. Um, you're attracted to the food because of the way it looks. Although there's still something to be said for the for the nice uh, soup, you know, the homey uh, soup that, that might not look that great, but once they add a little uh, a little garnish on it or or create a little texture on it or put it in a nice bowl, it does look beautiful, you know, and add some sparkle to it uh, with the lighting, it can really uh, stand out. So I I think that I think that. Um, I think that you know, restaurants are are more um, aware of presentation on the plate, and um, and that's become a big thing lately. And that that really helps them uh, to uh, to stand out a little more the way they present their food. Is what is your favorite food? Or what are your favorite foods? And are they your favorite foods to photograph, or are there are they two separate categories? I I love everything. I love food, period. So I love appetizers, desserts, entrees, pasta. I shoot a lot for Barilla pasta, so I, I love shooting pasta, being Italian again, because of the textures and the shapes and then the uh, the garnishes you can use and the sauces. And um, I love eating pasta, but I love eating meat, fish, chicken, desserts, and uh, I shoot drinks, too, so I like uh, drinking them as well. I mean, um, if you look at all my photographs, basically I have tasted everything that I photographed. So you can imagine I should be 4,000 pounds, but I'm only 2,000 pounds. So <laughs> what do you remember as being your your absolutely best meal, and why? Well, it was a meal I had with Craig Claiborne um, at a Paul Bocuse's restaurant in France, and it was uh, it was just exceptional. We were treated like royalty. It must have been about four thousand dollars between the wine and the food and um, and everything else. It was just incredible. And he's a master chef. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, 
but um, but he's just incredible. And it must have been about ten courses, so so it was quite memorable. And uh, it was tough to get up after that one, that's for sure. <laughs> well, one of the things that I've, I've you know I've heard you mention is that when you're when you're photographing um, for the benefit of a cook, a cook will 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 make the meal based on how it tastes. But when uh-huh. it comes to photographing it, uh, you have to have someone there who's aware that they have to cook it to a point where it's best to photograph it. What's what's the difference? Um, well, for example, chicken, if you really cook it to taste, uh, the skin might start wrinkling and, and look a little uh, not as appetizing or as plump or as juicy as if you undercook it a little bit and then maybe brush it a little. But these days, like we were talking about being more natural with the food, it's actually better now to to cook it like you would almost to eat it. So that way it really does look uh, like it's crispy and a little frayed and more human. I think we were discussing this earlier. So so the, the only thing a lot of times that chefs might not do is, is uh, have the eye... Uh, from the from the camera point of view, from a lower angle perhaps, because they're always thinking about it more from a 45-degree angle, like where the, the client uh, at the restaurant is looking at the food when they're sitting down. So the, the thing that I, I urge uh, chefs a lot of times to do is think about lowering your angle, because I, I like shooting food from a lower angle. I think it has a little more depth to it and, and uh, dimension. So they might have to... Um, exaggerate the placement on the plate of the items, the food items, and separate them a little more so that it'll stand out from a different angle. But uh, sometimes when we do shoot for restaurants and they have a budget, we'll have a food stylist there so that uh, they work with the chef hand-in-hand to to cook and and place the items on the plate, again, for composition, uh, specifically for the camera. And um, and for the lighting, the way things are lighting, sometimes the, the light's just hitting a, a, a certain element, food element, and we'll just have to manipulate it a little bit so it doesn't glare um, since the light was good on everything else, you know. But um, for the chefs at home, it's, it's tough, too, because they have to do everything, uh, have the food ready and make it look fresh and have the light ready and the set ready. So I would recommend maybe doing uh, setting up the set and the, and the lights with some stand-in food like we do in the real shoot, and then and then cook it uh, you know to perfection, and then uh, try and photograph it, but keeping in mind the angle that you're you're looking at it from, so that it'll make it look best. Color is is really critical, and in, in fashion work, particularly if you're doing stuff with cataloging, the color that's on the swatch of the material it needs to be what's on the you know color of the final photograph. With the age of digital, you have a lot of you know a, def, a lot more latitude with what you can do in, in in Photoshop. But for your work, how do you how do you ensure that you're going to get the color that is as true as possible to what you shot or like you mentioned on some occasions, sometimes you want to warm it up a little bit. Talk talk about about what's involved in terms of not only color accuracy, but then shifting things to the kind of color that sort of ideally suits the, the subject matter. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Color uh, fidelity and color balance are key with food. There's, um, and I found that different sensors from different camera manufacturers uh, give you different looks, sort of like the old days when you shot different types of film. Uh, Fujichrome or Kodachrome or whatever, it has different color balances. And I'm 
I'm super happy with the way the Olympus sensor and the um, the technology that it has in it to uh, to create uh, the best, most uh, beautiful color in my images. Um, and and fidelity, the greens are often hard to photograph. So even in a salad, it'll show me different shades of the green of the leaf, and um, and the reds really come out beautifully, and the shadow detail. So it is a matter, a technical um, function of of the camera, the lenses, the digital lenses that I use give me really, really sharp edge-to-edge -edge quality uh, that Olympus has. So, so I'm I'm so happy with their technology and and their color fidelity. On top of which, then uh, white balancing, doing the custom white balance that I mentioned earlier, so that you can get more accurate color. And I shoot a color chart, um, a, a Macbeth, you know, great tag color chart, so that I can then put that on the computer to just check it. I prefer to try and get the most accurate color I can right in the camera, even though I shoot RAW plus JPEG. And I know you don't want to get too technical, but uh, a lot of people say, oh, I'm shooting RAW, so it doesn't matter. But then you, you might not remember exactly what that shade of green was for that little leaf, you know, or that, uh, that parsley or whatever. So it's better for me to have an image that's pretty color accurate. Um, and, then, and then I do have the raw to, to pull it or, or maybe warm it up a little bit. Um, the custom white balance, for the most part, gives you a real neutral grays and neutral colors. And that's why I was saying with food, I, I like to just add a little bit of amber maybe to it just to warm it up because I think it, it just makes it feel more approachable and more more warm and more edible. You don't want to eat blue food. You'd rather eat you know warmer yellowish food, but not you don't want it super yellow. A lot of times I see photographs from students where they're they're really way off yellow because they're shooting under tungsten illumination. Uh, you know the lights in the kitchen or the or uh, household lamps, and uh, and the food looks too yellow. It looks it looks weird, you know. Uh, or green sometimes if they're shooting on the fluorescent light. For the most part, they use their auto white balance feature on the camera, and that does not always accommodate the the color of the light source uh, that well. So I recommend, and I do that with all my students. Learn, have them learn how to do the custom white balance right off the bat. Because even with strobe units, uh, they would vary a little bit. And then depending on what diffusion, before I mentioned that I use a lot of different diffusion or reflector boards, depending on what you put um, you know, in front of the light or, or uh, reflecting the light, it'll change the white balance as well. So, so color is very, very important. And, and to me, uh, the essence of, of a good food shot is to make it really look uh, the color that it should be. And maybe um, it'll be a little bit on the saturated side, just a touch, so that the colors are more vivid. In fact, Olympus has a vivid mode that I use um, almost all the time when I shoot food, which enhances the color just a touch. It's not overly saturated and it's not fake. It just brings out the color even more so in the food. And I think that's another thing that helps my photograph stand out. And then the lighting brings out the subtlety of the tones of it as well. So it's a combination of all those things. You do um, a or several food phot photography workshops. Why don't you tell us 
where people you know what where you where you have those and what what you teach there what can people expect to learn uh when they spend a day with you well basically you know a day is not enough time to learn this but but i give them a good overview the workshops are often held in my studio uh, through various sponsors like Olympus, Adorama, or other camera stores, and uh, or I'll, I'll give them at different locations uh, across the country, uh, in uh, in conference rooms and theaters, uh, in schools, and uh, the day consists of the morning where if it's a small group, I've done it to small groups of, of five to ten. My normal class is around about a dozen, and then um, I'll, I'll try and acquaint myself with the, the range of knowledge that the students have and look at some of their work and give critiques, which people really appreciate right off the bat, and that way I know where they're coming from. And then typically I'll show a PowerPoint presentation, which encompasses some of the tricks, which we don't really use too much anymore, and a lot of the behind-the-scenes uh, lighting that I was telling you about. That'll be in my next book, More Digital Food Photography, and uh, and and composition concepts and color, and um, and lighting, uh, which is key. And then after that, we'll have a nice lunch, which is very important to eat, you know, while we're during the day. And then I'll have the students um, go through my prop closet and pick some props and we'll have some food available for them, or they'll pick something up uh, in the local stores here. I'm right in New York City on 5th Avenue and 18th Street, so it's right in the heart, and there's lots of uh, farmer's markets at the Union Square, so they can pick up different fruits and vegetables and then bring it back. And then I help them with an assistant um, to pick the right kind of props. So we go through the whole process and, and, and pick out a background, and then um, each student has about 10, 15 minutes where I would work with them individually and light the, light the food and, and shoot it. And then we project it on a, on a big screen in my studio or wherever we are so that the rest of the students can see what we're going through to achieve a good photograph. And ultimately, I make sure that everybody walks out with some good photographs that they've shot that day. And uh, with each student, I'll try and bring up a different topic that we talk about in theory in the morning, whether it's composition, lenses, uh, depth of field, lighting techniques, color of the plates, um, color of the props and size, um, all the different elements that we've been talking about. So it's, it's a great day, and everybody shares and, and learns, and I make sure that I have them do a custom white balance and learn exposure, learn metering. We didn't really talk about that. We've been talking about lighting and white balance, but to me, having an accurate exposure reading really makes the photograph look better, too, because a lot of times people don't have accurate exposure in their photographs, and then they fix it in Photoshop later, but it won't look as good as if you have, if you have it right, right on the sensor. You know, you know that, right? You, oh, absolutely. you get so much more detail in an area if you, if you light it a little bit than if you try and bring it out in Photoshop later. So um, exposure and, and using a light meter, an incident light meter, and measuring the light sources is something that most people don't do. They, they often just shoot with available light, and they just refer to their light meter in the camera and just shoot you know, whatever it says. And a lot of times if they're shooting a whitish 
in a white vanilla ice cream on a white plate on a white background, that's going to look gray. And they don't understand why, because the meter is always looking for that 18% gray in the camera. Or if they're shooting a dark chocolate on a dark background, it, it doesn't look that dark and chocolate. It'll look gray as well. So I go through this whole, um, you know, where I show them how, how to really meter properly and use exposure uh, compensation adjustments to, to get a better uh, quality of, of color and light and fidelity to the subject or use an incident light meter and uh, measure the light sources and move them back and forth or change the power ratios, which you can do with, with strobe, so that you can get um, a nice lighting ratio so that there's detail in the shadows and the highlights, but it still looks like there's light coming from one direction, which is what I think you were mentioning earlier in my photography, that it still looks natural, right. but, but yet there's detail. And I work hard at that by balancing the light sources and using the reflectors and metering properly and getting the exposure properly um, in my sensor. And that will help also the color fidelity of the subject, which is what we started this whole uh, question with, right, was how mm -hmm. to make it, look, make it look right. That's some good information to have. Uh, well, my last question is always to ask the, the guests to recommend another photographer for listeners to discover and explore. So, And it can be anyone from someone you've long admired to someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Well, it's funny because the photographers that I love to look at their work are, are the old masters. In fact, tonight I'm going to an exhibit with Alfred Steiglitz um, and... Um, and I, I love Henri Cartier-Bresson. I don't know if you know some of these old black-and-white photojournalists. Oh, absolutely, it, yeah. It goes back to my photojournalism um, career. But I find that they really capture a telling moment. And uh, working again in black-and-white, uh, you know, they see things in a, in, with contrast and with light and shapes. Because color is, is easy. You can take a good color picture because the colors look great, you know. But in black and white, it's really difficult. So I think I admire uh, their use of, of, and they just captured natural light for the most part, but the way they captured it and the way they shot it and angled it and composed it is what I, um, what I enjoy to look at. And I often go uh, to the museum just to see Renaissance painters and, and um, paintings like that, and I like the, the lighting that was used to, in paintings as well. So, so it's stuff like that that I, I admire, and uh, and it helps it helps you see, uh, see how other things are being interpreted by other masters, you know. Well, thank you, Lou, for making time for us and sharing you know, the insights you have into your into your work, and and just I can't thank you enough. Well, this was exciting for me, and I thank you too. Uh, it was great to be part of it, and um, and I I'm looking forward to hearing how it sounds. Hopefully, uh, there wasn't too many glitches in it. And um, for more information about me or my workshops, if I can mention my my website is lumana.com, and on that there's a blog um, a blog tab, and you can go to my blog, which is digitalfoodphotography.com. And I have about 1,400 uh, members from all over the world that are food photographers that have joined it. And there's forums and, and that you can post some of your photographs and 
post information and I have information about my workshops and, and little blurbs that are coming out in my next book. And it's a great exchange of uh, talent from all over the world. So I love, I love being part of that and I hope and I welcome people to join it. Yeah, and if you're listening and you're not near a computer, I'll have links for all of these on the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. Thanks for joining me again. If you have any comments, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or Flickr. Links to each can be found on the blog. And finally, my book, Capturing the Light, How to Improve Your Photography Using Available Light, is now available for pre-order through Amazon, Porters, Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. It will be out in April, but you can order your copy now. You'll find more information on the book on the website. Till next time, this is Ibarian X. Pirello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. photocastnetwork.com.